This is a Momentum Media production. Inside Commercial Property with Rethink Investing. Australia's largest and most comprehensive podcast covering all things commercial investing. G'day, how you going? Phil Tarrant, co-host of Inside Commercial Property with Rethink Investing. Our friends, Rethink Season 3, I think we're in right now. God. Uh, I remember kicking this off during the, uh, the COVID pandemic when uh, someone had a great idea. It wasn't my great idea um, that we should concentrate on commercial uh, investing as a way to help residential property investors maybe think about property differently, change your investment strategy, do things differently. And we teamed up with our mates over at Rethink. Scott O'Neill's joining me in the studio. Founder, director, how are you going? Yeah, very good, mate. Good. Yep, well You join this? Three years. We're getting old. What's it's horrible. Happening? Yeah. <laughs> It's horrible. It doesn't feel that long to me, I'll say that. Nah. I was shocked when I heard it was three years. I felt like we've only been doing this for 12, this, this, 18 months. This is months. pretty much the start of the third, yeah. third season. Yeah. Yeah. Should know. And uh, yeah, ready to do another few years. So looking forward to it. That's the idea. And uh, it's been pretty popular. Some people say that we are the lifeblood of commercial property in Australia. And you got to remember this, you know, we're very much orientated, uh, this podcast, not towards... Commercial property usually gets thrown into the big deals happening in commercial real estate. You pick up the financial review, there'll be sort of major, major assets like the Salesforce Tower, which now dominates the Sydney skyline, getting discussed about um, major office developments, major precinct developments. Um, where we've chosen to focus this particular podcast Scott is is not that institutional level, it's everywhere else. So from uh, mum and dad investors looking to diversify their portfolio to buying their first commercial investment, maybe 500 grand somewhere or other. There's not that many places these days, but you still get 500 grand commercial properties all the way through to sort of multi-million dollar assets. But we don't sort of go much above probably 20 million, I reckon. That's only a certain part of the world that operates in that space. Yeah, that's right. And like I do a lot of other interviews in, in places and all they do is talk about, you know, what's happening in the office space, you know, or that big tower doing that. And everyday Australians don't really care about that because mm. it's out of reach. You know, you might have a touch of it in your super fund, but it's not going to change your wealth. And and that's the problem with the Australian landscape. Commercial has just been thrown into the too hard basket. And that's why we set this up all those years ago. And yeah, it's uh, like we literally get recognised in the street because of it, which is... Do people stop you and go, oh, you're Scott O'Neill. Yeah, yeah a little bit. It's, it's still carried, strange. You get carried by that Phil Tarrant bloke the whole way yeah. through that podcast. <laughs> That's what they say, don't they? Every time, mate. Yeah. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, it's it's good because we've just opened the um, opened it up to the mums and dads and the you know the individual investors because mm. no one talks about this. And, and now it's becoming more popular. And I think you know it was naturally going to become more popular due to yeah. the numbers and the fact that... Resi's yields are so low, like so the numbers will always, you know, attract people. So yeah. we're just educating and, and that's been the I, I think it's the best part of what I do. I, I like you know, if if I'm gonna be remembered for one thing, it's you know, just opening this asset class up to as many Australians as possible and and that's yeah, that's really enjoyable, you know. And if I remember correctly, and I get this graph you must get every now and then, it sort of talks about where uh, the asset classes in Australia, the biggest asset class in Australia is residential property, where most people hold their wealth. Trillions, $7 trillion, I think, by memory. Maybe we got that right, maybe wrong. Uh, and then after Resi Property, I think it's self-managed super is where the next sort of biggest like um, aggregate of, of wealth and asset classes. And then I think it's retail and uh, industry super. Uh, and then I think it's equities, 
the stock market, and then I think it's commercial property. I think I've got that right, or thereabouts. Maybe the order's a bit different, but commercial property is a, the weight of the asset class is probably about fifth in, in the size and scope of it, but it's still a significant, it's still a very significant asset class for Australian. Yeah, and that obviously contributes to the, the lack of knowledge people have on it. Like mm. there's, you know, it's a relatively high purchase point entry. Like, you know, you can get into equities for very little money and, you know, you can have a little gamble when you don't know anything into that and then learn as you go in. But commercial, it's kind of like you're in the deep end straight up. And yeah, it's, uh, it's not as forgiving as making a couple of bad stock picks for a couple of grand somewhere. Correct. Yeah. But history proves that it is, you know, it's pretty hard to do a bad deal in commercial if you do it properly because it's still attached to property, bricks mm-hmm. and mortar, uh, lands, supply. It's, uh, you know, we're, we've I've been digging at working with some statisticians because we're releasing our updated book in the next few months. And you can't help plugging that, can you? No. Nah. What's it called again? <laughs> Uh, same, well, same name. Same name? Yeah, okay. we're just rehashing it. The 2023 um, edition. Yep. Okay. Basically, you know, 100 extra pages, and it's uh, we talk about like the GFC, how what properties uh, did well and did terribly in that, mm. you know, what the effect of that was a few years after. Go back and look at COVID, yep. what happened, um, yep. which is important because uh, we all invest a little bit differently because of COVID, and more people are in commercial because of COVID as well. Yeah, but uh, yeah, we, I'll, I'll go into these stats in a future episode, but um, the growth rates since uh, over the last 30 years for commercial, for all asset classes except one, have beaten residential in terms of annual growth rates, Okay, which was mind-blowing for me because we're all brought up to tell you that residential grows more. Mm. Statistically, it's incorrect. Well, I think what we should do then, let's put a marker on that. And once you've got the book done, send me an advanced copy. I'll have a read of it yep. and uh, we can do a book review you had the first old school book last time. I yeah, think, I did. So. Yeah, you gonna sign it again? We'll you're see. more famous now. <laughs> I'll see you. I saw you on the um. What was it on? I was looking at your social stuff the other day. Your chat with um, Mark Burris yeah. about commercial property. Was that around sort of big Insta stuff? Or was that mum and dad stuff? Oh, he he started with the Insta as they all do because yeah. everyone relates to oh, you know that tower sold at that. Talk about the office market. It's mm. the standard topic everyone talks about office when you don't really talk about commercial much because yep. you can relate to it. Um, but, yeah, no, he, he delved into, um, you know, because he's obviously got the lending side of things down pat. So, yeah, yeah he understood all that stuff and asked real good questions. Uh, yeah. Well, he's a bright bloke. He knows what he's on yeah. about. So he would have been asking the right questions. Yeah, that good chat. Good to meet the bloke. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. That's cool. And, and that's it. And anyone who, anyone largely that has a retail uh, or industry super fund will probably have some exposure to commercial property. They, they're they probably the big insto investors with big um, industrial blocks where you see Bunnings and Harvey Normans and stuff. A lot of that is normally owned by super funds. Some of it's owned privately. And then the big office towers are largely owned by big super funds and they like it, right? It's a yeah. steady return. They do some creative stuff in in uh, showcasing the value of the properties. Uh, that's a murky world that no one really understands properly. Yeah, and uh, and that's one of the, the hardest things of trying to work out these growth rates because um, there's very little data from years ago and the way we do it is look at the square metre rates because mm. then you can cut through all the the bull crap about the, uh, you know, what yield you should cap rate it at because you can play around with yield and change the value of an asset like by huge percentages. Yeah. So it's best to look at the square metre rate if you're just going for raw capital growth and that was a method that we we applied, getting those numbers. But yeah, there's obviously a lot of headlines right now about the office market not adjusting their internal valuations to yeah. match the reality of the market. And and uh, what I'm seeing as an investor on the ground is, is a two-speed market because we deal with a lot of the entry-level 
prices that the fund managers deal with and there's a lot of them selling right now because they look like, I don't know if they've got liquidity issues or they've got um, you know, less investors going into their funds, but you're seeing them sell off a lot more assets and they're not buying from each other at the same rate. So mm. the deals are pretty good at the moment in that range. And then once you get under that, I don't know, call it 10 mil, it's still extremely competitive because all yeah. the individual investors... They start coming in, yeah, they sort w- of good, good sort of family office money, sort of, yeah. yeah. It's interesting, and the office market is where most people sort of frame commercial purchasing. I'd sort of note, I think Elon Musk with Twitter just went, no, nah, I'm not paying the rent anymore on his commercial properties. His commercial space went, no, nah, it's overpriced anyway. I'm not paying. You get stuffed and they just went, oh, okay, no worries. Yeah. So, Didn't you get rid of 80% of yeah. the workforce yeah. too? <laughs> Solid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> just on. went stuff it, you know, there yeah. you go. But uh, anyway, um, I've been looking for today's chat because there's something happening in Australia has been happening for many, many, many years, for generations. And this is the inherent perpetual transitioning of real estate assets from generations to generations. And particularly, we're talking about rural uh, communities and rural families. And, and we're joined today by, by someone that knocks around a fair bit in this space. He's uh, a rural property strategist at Rethink Investing, uh, Michael McIntosh. And I really want to get into this because rural or otherwise, it's, it's this transition of generational wealth which is great if you've got it. I know a lot of property investors are looking to build it. You must see that a lot in your client base. They go, why are you investing in property? Oh, because I want to build something for the next generation. So there's still perpetually people trying to to create this notion of generational wealth and and, and helping the generations subsequent to them. But where we are at a sort of rural level, you've got a lot, of, a lot of Aussie farmers, a lot of rural Australians have seen huge spikes in the value of their assets over the last period of time. But there's still... <laughs> They still sort of don't have a lot of dough uh, to keep businesses running, whether it's farming or other agricultural assets or agricultural uh, ventures. So we want to get into this today. And, and this is from the horse's mouth. Uh, Michael's from a place called Gundawindi, uh, which uh, I sort of thought I knew where it was and I was pretty right. But if you go uh, west of, uh, sort of southwest of um, Brisbane, and keep driving probably a couple of hundred kilometres towards New South Wales border, you find this little town called Gundawindi, right on the border there on the uh, McIntyre River. And that's where he's from. And it sounds like that's where he was brought up as well. How is Gundawindi these days? Have you got you got the internet out there yet, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thank you. No, Gundawindi's great. It's one of the better towns. It's... Uh, I don't know how many. We'd have six or 7,000 people probably. Yeah. It's a strong agricultural region, supports industries, cotton, wheat, you know, cattle. So it's it's sort of a hub for a big area for West. Um, it's about four and a half hours west of Brisbane, four and as half you hours. said, right on the Queensland, New South Wales border. So it's on the Newell Highway, which is the main, main inland route from Melbourne north. Is that near the Stanhope Ranges? Is that near there? No. Don't know. Gundawindi. People in Gundawindi just care about Gundawindi. How big is Gundawindi? <laughs> Six or seven thousand people, I'd okay, say. Okay, so it's a decent sort of town. Yeah, yeah. How many pubs in Gundawindi? Uh, three or four. Okay. What's uh, the best one? They're all good. Yeah? yeah they're all good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to put any publicans offside. No, so. no, no. Well, you know, it's uh, what are the real estate agents like in Gundawindi? Great. Yeah, I know what they're no, doing. They're good, yeah. yeah. yeah no. <laughs> so you're with Rethink Investing and you, you sort of focus on rural property, sort of helping... Australians uh, generational wealth sort of transition that wealth through property it must you must have seen substantial changes over the last couple of years Michael in terms of asset values of farmland and agricultural land versus how much cash farmers yeah. have right this, they have great years farmers 
that often they have less than great years and they always seem like to be crying poor. Farmers always crying poor. <laughs> no, well, it's a difficult uh, industry to be in. Obviously, they're competing with not only world markets that aren't necessarily fair. We're a long way from anywhere. We've got a difficult weather pattern to deal with. So, you know, we're a dry continent. Australian farmers are very good at being at the forefront of, of technologies, emerging technologies, of adopting new ones. They're very efficient. You know, so willing to look at a lot of different things. I think to be a, a farmer in Australia, you need to be quite tolerant of risk. I think farmers are, are no different to everyone else. They accept risk as long as they understand it. And, you know, a lot of the strategies are about conserving moisture, minimising risk, uh, managing markets as they can. So, you know, Australian farmers are a very efficient uh, group that I would have thought are at the forefront of of world agriculture. Yep. I, I completely agree with that. And I think a lot of people actually forget, you know, this is notion of Australia was built on the the buds on the sheep's back, right? Mm. You know, it's, it's it's been very much the tempo and the heartbeat of the nation for many years. And it's like we've sort of forgotten about the value that farmers provide, but it's still a huge economic driver and a huge economic engine. And farming just isn't you know, livestock or cotton or sugarcane or whatever. It's it's all the other stuff. It's fish farming, it's lobster farming, yeah. it's it's viticulture. Everything is interconnected. Exactly. And and you know, you mentioned before about asset values. There's been this huge influx of money, I guess. You know, I think Australia was seen as quite cheap for land um, in a worldwide sense. So there seemed to be this, you know, there's all these overseas super funds that got all this money they're desperate to put somewhere. And over the last 10 years, I've seen this huge increase in the value of farming land in Australia. And so farmers, you know, their, their everyday uh, cash flow hasn't improved a whole lot, but they've had this huge increase in equity, which, um, you know, has allowed them to to purchase more land, um, to, to expand. I mean, one of the things that's very important in agriculture in Australia is scale. So if, you know, economy of scale, but scale generally, you need to be efficient. And to do that, you know, there's certain levels you need to, to get at. And I think generally farms have got bigger um, because they've needed to, but there is, there's not necessarily a lot, more, a lot more cash in the system. So, you know, when you talk about creating generational uh, wealth, you know, a lot of these are farming families that have done it for a couple of generations. Um, the difficulty is, you know, how do I how do I transition to the next one? So there's the parents that we need to consider. So mum and dad, when they want to retire, how do they how do they get out? They may not have been able to necessarily put a lot of money aside during the period because there's always this sort of this pool, you know, do you invest in the new the new planter that's going to help next year's crop or the new something that's going to help efficiencies that'll have immediate effect or there's this long-term sort of issue that we all know is there that has to be addressed one day, but, you know, are there funds available to do that? And then there's the non-farming members of the family, i.e. kids that may want to come home, some may, some might, and, you know, how do you try and create some equity amongst all that? So, you know, we think that commercial property is a, is the ideal tool because uh, you've got a cash flow positive asset. You can sit outside the business; it will pay itself off without the farm having to contribute. Really, all that's going to tie up in the initial stages is some equity, which which potentially is not being utilised anyway. And you know, it may, if they use a hundred percent equity and no cash, you know, it might take twenty years to pay that thing off. But you know, time's your friend. That's that's great. And you know. Um, if they were to put in, say, $5 million worth of equity, they could potentially leverage that up to, to you know, 12 or $15 million. And by the time 20 years comes down the track, that's fully paid off 
uh, with a with a very significant cash flow coming in, and and what that provides okay. is choices. So mm. you know, people have always wanted to have an equitable and a, and a fair and successful transfer of generational assets, i.e., succession plan. But you know they're dealing with what they've got at the time, and and often that is a lack of funds, which makes it difficult. And so if this thing can be just ticking away out to one side. And over time, looking after itself, it's increasing in value through just at the very least through increase in rents over time. You know, by the time these decisions have to be made and, you know, there's more choice because there's more funds available, this thing, you know, and you might get one that, you know, you get it half paid off and then use the equity in that to buy another one. So, you know, it can be this whole thing, which is in the first stage is just a, a simple diversification. It's a risk or a drought mitigation tool. Mm. It's a stable uh, flow of, of uh, flexible source of income out to one side. I mean, if you need it, you just pause principal repayments and just use the cash flow. It's got all this sort of flexibility about it. And, you know, if it's purchased in the right entity, it provides huge amount of flexibility down the track. And, you know, as you know, time erodes the value of money. So, you know, if people for instance, get to a stage in their life where they sell the business and no one wants to take it over, you know, the worst thing can happen is that, you know, they put that money in the bank and find that, you know, every year it's becoming less and less. We would certainly advocate that there's a case for investing in something like commercial property where it's going to at least keep up with the value of money. So there's a lot of moving parts when you sort of explain it like that. And and this is the, the challenge that farmers have and, and, and rural communities in general is there is so much uncertainty. You need to have an appetite for risk to be a farmer and there is so much outside of your control. There's probably one of those industry sectors There's more outside of your control than other areas. You don't know what the weather's going to do. You don't know what's coming over mm. the horizon the next day, right? And that's tough and it's tough for farmers and a lot of farmers struggle with, with that dichotomy. It's got to get it right. You know, you've got to get the sequence right. You've got to make the right investment decisions in terms of planning the equipment and capabilities for next year's crop. This is this is a perpetual issue. I don't know if you guys, have, you've probably seen Clarkson's farm in, in the UK. They reckon that's been one of the greatest enablers for farming in the UK. And I think generally, because people now have a real appreciation of how tough a gig it is to get right. If you get it right, brilliant, but most of the time it seems to go wrong. So what you're talking about is, is de-risking it. So how do you use the value of the equity you have in the land that you have to actually diversify so the question is, how soon do you do that well, as part a, of a journey? Because, well, you know, if you're thinking about general, if you've got four kids, two of them might want to be in farming, two of them might not want to be in farming. They're going to want to they're, they're look at the ice cream of the, the family assets. So you can start building that outside of it independently for that preparation time. It sounds like smart business. Yeah, well, I think it's like all investment strategies, the earlier you start, the better. Mm. You know, it's difficult to think about, better retirement when you're, you know, just getting married. Yeah. But but that is the perfect time to be starting. For one, as I said, it's uh, just a risk mitigation tool for your business, so that never hurts. Uh, but it gives it time to develop and it gives it time for it to poke away because, you know, this is no different to all other aspects of business. A good business strategy is sometimes just a very boring, slow burn. And and that's what this can be if you have time. So you just buy a really good blue chip asset in the right location, uh, maybe a good industrial property or something like that. And it will just tick away to the side. You get a great property manager. So, you know, uh, you'll have to have no no input in it really. Mm. Um, 
but you know, over time it pays itself off, and 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 there is a growth strategy attached. As I said, that you get it paid down, and you can use utilize the equity in that property to purchase another one. So, and at the same time, you know, if you put your money outside the farm early, and you're very proactive with these sort of things, it's got to be into a tool that will potentially be able to be have some equity in the value by the time it comes to retirement. Yeah. So it has to be a strategy where it's got growth similar to the farming land. I mean, they will grow in in different rates. One might be better than the other, but but at least there's potential for it to be equitable when the time comes. Yeah. And there's so many options. There's so many ways you can slice and dice. And this is why, why succession, um, particularly in, in, in rural families, rural communities is so important. You get some really smart accounts that specialise in this stuff. But sort of diversifying your ability to generate income outside of the manufacturing of whatever the farming activity you're doing, it makes a lot of sense. I guess the question is, is if you have a rural asset and you're thinking about succession, and one of the options might be you live off the income that a commercial property or commercial properties generates as the retiring parents and, and you pass on the asset of the, the farming completely to the new generations. That's one way it can work out. But how do you make the initial start? If you've got, let's say, a reasonable farming operation, but it's not sort of knocking the lights out, you, you just sort of, you, you, you're making, a lot of people just break even in farming, right? But you have such a strong asset value in the property. How do you get some money out of that? in order to park it to create a deposit for commercial property because rural lending is a completely beast in itself. They're, they're happy to sort of to give you finance for, for equipment and, and, and other sort of farming machinery, but to actually refinance your home, your, your property to get some money out of it, how difficult is that? It should be a pretty simple process. You know, any loan based on real assets like property, and and that's all that a farm is, is a huge chunk of property, Mm. uh, should, you know, it's perfect to borrow against. And, you know, in terms of the cash flow, it's like everything you need to, doesn't matter what business you're in, you've got to understand, you know, what what the game is. And and really, the way you're going to make money out of all property, including rural, over the long term is, is really capital gain. And so... Uh, the sooner you start, the sooner you get money outside it. You know, the, the, to start is as simple as having a discussion with your accountant, with us, and, and you know, we can talk through the different asset classes. So, for instance, farmers have a huge amount of autonomy over their, over their land. They don't need to have a committee to decide things. So they would be more interested in, say, free freestanding assets, maybe an industrial asset, something like that. The sort of tenants in those sort of assets would be ones that they would get on well with. Uh, I think farmers are good with relationships. They understand that all property, and this would be no different, is a long-term strategy. So they're very well aligned to investing in in commercial property. I mean, I think often they're no different to anyone else. They may have a unit at the coast or they might have bought a house somewhere and they're bit unenthused because it's, you know, it's cash flow nothing. You know, they potentially just got it out to the side for the sake of having it. There's not necessarily a great strategy attached. So I think if we could, uh, and that's all we're trying to do is just expose them to the, the idea that there's this commercial property thing out there that can sit there, can pay itself off. It's got this huge attractive thing called positive cash flow that can pay itself off uh, without you contributing over time. And um, and the other part, the other aspect that I, that is so important with commercial property, 
People think when they've signed a contract that they've bought a property, they haven't. All they've done is secured a, a due diligence period. And so they've got this ability to really consider the property thoughtfully, have more discussions with their advisors as to how it might fit into a longer term strategy, get all the nuts and bolts of this property before they decide. So by the time they've decided and they're actually committing money to it, you know, it can be a really considered, thoughtful investment that, mm. that fits into an overall strategy and we can help with those strategies. And, you know, and sometimes it's as simple as, as mum and dad or the family sitting down and they might say, look, mum and dad are, are you know, uh, 55 now, is it too late? Well, it's not because, you know, depending on your stage in life and what you're trying to get out of the investment, you may be just looking for a cash flow. So, so in that case, let's just find a good property that returns 7%, something like that, still a great property. They're not necessarily worried about paying the property off. They're just going to live off the cash flow. And when that stops for whatever reason, then the kids can, you know, take over and start paying it down. So it's, it's sort of, or, you know, it's going to serve that purpose of helping the parents exit the business. Yeah. But secondly, it's in place for the next generation to take it over, pay it down and use it for a longer term strategy. And, and we say that mm. all the time. Some people will say, look, I'm 60 and really we're looking at retiring and we just want to travel around Australia. Great. Let's just find a good cash flow positive property that's going to give them the ability to go forward. The other part that can happen is that potentially, you know, if there's money in, the, in just invested in the bank and it, it sort of depletes over time, one of the parents die or whatever, like, you know, the remaining one doesn't, is not necessarily left with a whole lot of choices. Yeah. So a continuing amount of cash flow, whatever it is just, just flowing through, gives people the ability to continue to remain independent to have choices, to not be reliant on the kids, you know. It has so many ongoing benefits in terms of how that makes them feel and their mental health. So, you know, a simple one purchase has the ability to fulfil all these different aspects regardless of what stage the business and the and the partners are in. Do you find most people get succession right or they typically get it wrong? Uh, I think everyone um, – I think there'll be a range, you know. The, the thing that would make succession plans not – follow through to successful settlement is a lack of money to fund it. Mm. And so if there's, you know, so I think sometimes if the kids potentially get frustrated with why aren't mum and dad retiring and leaving us alone, well, maybe it's because there's just mum and dad are, are very aware that there's not a lot of money in the system for them to take and retire. So yeah. they, rather than admit that, they probably feel like they should stay around and, and it sort of frustrates everyone, frustrates the parents, frustrates the kids. So I think everyone has their best intentions. I think the important thing to note is that, that everyone is trying the best with the tools they have available. And that's what we're sort of trying to do is to say, look, there is this other tool available as well you may not have considered. We'd love to have a chat with you about it. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think uh, in all business, doesn't matter if it's a rural business, but any sort of generational business, I think mum and dad would love to set something up for the kids if they chose to follow in that path. But but if not, you know, having a, having an asset outside the business that's, that's growing in value and providing options for everyone is always going to be a, a yeah, positive move. It's, it's all about those options and it gives choice to the future because you don't know how it's going to uh, you don't know how it's going to fall. No. You know, you, you say 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 you are 
a farming family and and you're part of your own succession story and you've you've got the family farm whatever that looks like and you're getting married like the time to start thinking about this is then you you don't know how many kids you're going to have or you're going to have any kids but it largely becomes irrelevant if you get started because you get that choice mm-hmm. you know and and in time you might liquidate the farming asset and you've already got assets outside of it commercial property for example um so you got to do this faster you got to do it quicker because if you're 65 and you start thinking about it, you probably missed the boat, right? That's when you you well, don't have well, time. Well, at least it's going to um, at least it's going to provide cash flow. Yeah. So at least you're keeping up with the value of money. Yeah. You know, Did a lot of farmers just keep cash in a bank, getting two percent interest on it. Like, oh, I doubt it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they use it right. They got it. They well, use it. You know, yeah. it's very asset rich, cash poor. Yeah. Um, and and as I said, you know, in order to stay competitive, you need to continually be investing back into the business, whether it's yeah. storage for grain, whether it's you know different things with livestock, or it's the uh, you know autonomous tractors. It's a capital intensive know. business, yeah. right? Yeah, you yeah. know. But but the asset keeps going up in value, particularly if yeah. it's an attractive asset. And um, and the thing is, it's it's peculiar uh, to a lot of other businesses in that it has a fair chunk of equity that can be utilised, and yeah. and I guess it's sitting there as unutilised equity often. Um, and so there is this opportunity that I believe is peculiar to these farming families that they have the opportunity to just utilise the equity and therefore not really put any cash flow stress on the business. You know, what what's currently available to people when they go to, re, go to retire is that the business may have to borrow money to, to buy mum and dad out. They may have to sell some of it, part of it. None of that is good for the key thing of maintaining the um, So the what you're saying is potentially sort of avoidable if you get your stuff sorted out early on yeah. and start creating assets outside of the fundamental business, which is some sort of farming activity. Yeah. Uh, and the thing is, people, you know, know that and potentially have considered it. I don't think it's widely recognized. You know, I don't think people really understand what commercial property is. Mm. But but the other big thing is, how do you start? You go, that's all great. But how do I, you know, what have I got to do? do? And so you you then kind of ignore it. You just put it on the back burner. And I so, guess it starts with, you need a chunk of cash to either have a deposit or buy an asset out completely, right? That's where it's got to start. So how do you get that original dough together. Well, you can just use utilise the equity. Yeah, so you've got to refinance uh, uh, or not, sell something. Well, you just don't really even need to refinance. You just mm. say, you know, at the moment I've got, you know, I've got 70% equity in my in my farm. I'm only going to, you know, I'll be, at, I'll be at 65 if I, I'll give this 5%, you know, this bit of equity across to getting this thing started. It's not going to yeah. have any impact on the rural business. Still got plenty of capacity to withstand the next, you know, year or so drought. I guess you get four-year droughts, it's all different. But, you know, it's all about just seeing what position you're in at the moment. It's an easy step. You don't have to buy a massive one. You can start mm-hmm. off reasonably small, but at the same time, at any stage, any progress is good, you know. It doesn't matter what business it is. So it's never yeah. too late. Um, how, are, how are farmers, got going with... Um Rising interest rates to, to I don't know the uh, I don't know the number, um, but how encumbered is sort of rural assets with finance against it? I imagine people just keep feeding off it and they've got big mortgage against it, even though they might have large asset values. Do you know? Yeah, look, we've one of the reasons like well, Michael's here as well. Like you know, he was a client. Then we've um we've worked with rural clients for years, mm-hmm. and the, the cash flow issue was the big problem. So as interest rates have gone up, we've seen that problem worsen for a lot of them. So yeah. 
on their um, on their residential rural property. Yeah, like yeah. Mike said, they might have a you know a unit down a, on the coast somewhere, or they've got some other asset classes. But the the fact is, commercial property will give you better cash flow than any other asset class. Yeah. So there's actually a lot more of them. Like it's almost like in the pipeline, they're just preparing. Like they they're going through refinances. They need slightly higher yields on the commercial purchase because you can lease stock that, use the income from the future purchase to then fund the, the I guess, the loan. Mm-hmm. And uh, but the one thing that I've noticed with uh, rural clients over the years is they are the best long-term planners out there because they've got to deal with droughts. Like remember, there was a ten-year drought not long ago, and and then there was floods and then bushfires. So these guys have weathered storms that the everyday city guy is not even capable of doing it unless you're a, you know, a, a rare breed. So they've got the equity, they've got the mental strength to buy this stuff and, and they buy it for the kids. That's why They're not buying it for their, oh, look at my cash flow for the next year or two. I'm going to use that to go to uh, Vegas or that. These guys are thinking for the kids. Well, they're, they're sort of being brought up in the same generational mindset. Yep. You know, um, yep. fourth, fifth generation farmers. There's sort of this rite of passage, right? And there's responsibility that you got to prepare for the next generation and, and I guess you want to be able to hand over the reins of the family assets in a better straight shape than what you've received it rather than being that person that had to sell the family farm because yeah. they ran out of money, right? Yeah, and look, it's very similar to any business. Like, you know, you run a business, you probably want your kids to be part of it somehow. Like, so the difference with rural is, like Mike said, they've got so much equity. So obviously a business will have its valuation, a multiple of its income, but... Um, Rural has uh, a pair, what is it, a, a hectare rate, you know, and they're literally seen these things triple in value over the last decade in some areas. So they've had uh, massive equity growth over large asset bases and um, a lot of them don't know what they've got other than, you know, trying to expand the farm and um, and that's why Mike's here to kind of re-educate because there is a chance to create another business on the side and that's how commercial property is because you're... Well, it's an obvious diversification, right? You don't want to diversify into more farming ventures, you're probably yep. worthwhile getting your money out of it into something else, which yep. which um, doesn't have the same headwinds and all tailwinds as what farming yep. does. And the types of properties they buy, like, you know, I, I remember I had one of the guys that grew the most mangoes in northern Queensland. Uh, he ended up buying his local shopping centre. It was a big, you know, oh, cool. 30 tenant thing. Um, had other, like, they love shopping centres because, like, you know, you come into town and you're you know, you, you might, you just resonate with it. It's an easy to understand asset class, mm. that one. Industrial is obviously the big growth headline grabber at the moment. Everyone's starting to go, oh, look, let's buy industrial because the growth rates on the rent are so good. So that's entering the, I guess, the, the general knowledge sphere now, which five years ago, no one wanted it. So yeah, those are the two main asset classes these farmers get because they can relate to it. And like Mike said as well, a tenant that's in manufacturing or storing of product, you might buy a big refrigeration or cold storage business that stores similar products to what they grow. You understand the contract side of things as well. So, yeah. so some people do um, was a vertical integrated, right? So if you're in a business of mangoes, I imagine you've yep. got to put that in cold storage for a period of time before you ship them off to market. So, yep. so, so the sort of supply chain orientated stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So you can go all the way down the line to the consumer. Uh, yeah, and the, you deal with the logistics side of things on the warehouse side and, um, yeah, obviously the, the supermarket at the other end. So, um, And these require large amounts of equity, these mm. types of purchases, and not many individuals have that. But if you're lucky enough to be a fifth-generation farmer, then you're probably sitting on a pretty big payload. And it's a sort of a light bulb moment for a lot of these farmers when you go, you know you can use all of this to do this over here and it's not really going to impact you too much. 
Yeah. Do they get it? Yeah, well, it's it's a pretty easy cash flow equation. Like you mm. just work off 100% debt. You know, if they're getting a 6% mortgage right now, then, you know, let's go look for a 7 7.5% asset, you know, and, and obviously the interest rate will probably change a fair bit in the next 12 months, up yeah. and then down or who knows, sideways. Uh, but rents are growing quite quick. So the, the gap between the interest rate and the mortgage should widen naturally over time. You know, some of the properties I bought a few years ago are sitting at 11%, you know, just because I haven't refinanced them and the rent's gone up. So based on the original purchase price, uh, yeah, there are returns I couldn't get yeah. in today's market. But time is your friend. And uh, and a farmer who's, uh, you know, got to keep 10 years of cash flow, five years of cash flow, and then factor in all the maintenance and replacement of capital, um, or, you know, basically the... Their business is is extremely tricky to manage. So property is a natural, naturally easy thing for them to understand. Yeah. Um, and most business owners find commercial fairly easy. They're the guys that were investing in commercial property well before the mums and dads saw it as an asset class because they would just see their factory, you know, outgoings and go, I'm paying all this rent. I may as well acquire the shed myself and pay myself. And, and owner-occupiers dominated the space back in the day. But now we're seeing... A lot more investors enter the market, and that's that's been the real big trend of the last decade. Mm. Well, hopefully it's resonated because it seems to make a lot of sense, Michael. I know you sort of come from a, a farming background and, and you've walked in these shoes, right? You know it pretty well. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you know, we've seen a lot of friends go different – you know, different sort of journeys through it, and, and it's it's never easy for, for anyone, but I think uh, what would make it easy is uh, having this – previously in place or, or, you know, some positive cash flow asset out to the side that just gives another choice, gives another opportunity. And as you know, um, you know, all these things just give give freedom. Um, you know, and the, and the other thing is, you know, people know this stuff's happening. It doesn't matter what business you're in, when you're neck deep in a business, it's hard to, to look outside and, 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 you know, how do I get these things started, you know? But really there is a pretty simple pathway. I think farmers are so well aligned with commercial property. It wouldn't be a, a big leap for them to, to either understand or, or to be comfortable with. And uh, look, it's, uh, you know, one of the reasons I like commercial property is it's a numbers game. You know, it's purely based on the numbers. So you're not got anyone trying to sell you some dream of of some, you know, you know, as you know, resi goes up and down on the back of I don't know what. Mm. Um, whereas commercials, just a numbers, it's a calculation on on the on the net yield, and the net yield is is a function of um, square metre rate and the quality of property and the tenants. So, you know, it's got the same fundamental things they'd look for in farming land: a good location, good productivity. It's a good long term asset. It's a real asset, so they can actually, you know, it's something that's that's not uh, sitting out there in the sky. Um, so you know, it's uh, it's not a big leap. I wouldn't have thought, but again, you've, there's got to be a pathway to get into it, and I think that's where rethink, um, you know, provides that pathway uh, to, in the first case, just get comfortable with the asset, and then over time, um, be able to step into it if that if they choose to go to the next step. But yeah, but so so for all those those guys and girls out there sitting on a combine harvester somewhere, listening to this on the Bluetooth in connectivity, which you have these days. What do you do? Like, you go, okay, well, that sort of makes sense. I want to have a, I want to, I want to think a bit more about that. What, what are they? Do they just call you guys up and say, "Hey, I'm a farmer. I want to invest in commercial property." Yeah. Well, yeah. look. Yeah, they do, and we always sort of try to push them towards talking to a broker yeah. uh, to start. broker first to see what their capacity is. Yeah. Look, it's yeah. Um, you can do it uh, 
in the same time, you know, you hand in hand type situation. But um, and interesting, a lot of rural brokers, because there's obviously guys that specialize in agriculture, finance, and uh, land valuations and all that. So they're actually starting to push their clients this direction too. So that's um, due to cash flow again. And the brokers want to do loans and the people want to buy stuff. And, uh, you know, the land values, uh, it's pretty hard to stomach for a lot of them as well. They, you know, they're used to the prices five years ago and, you know, you hear what the, the neighbor's selling for and they try buy it with the broker and then that someone outbids them by a lot. And, uh, yeah, it's almost like a second op- option a lot of the time. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's important to have that broker conversation because like Mike said- It's like, all interconnected, right? Yeah. You can't do one without the other. And you need the deposit first. So yeah. if you've got a $40 million property and it's got no income from it and you've got no ability to get anything out of it, then you might have to sell a portion of it, you mm. know? So there's, there's a bit of a planning stage that needs to go into it. And then obviously Mike's an expert with that on the- agriculture side and then uh, you know basically the next step is once you know your budget let's go get the best dollar for dollar deal you can so rather than just go spend it on five little assets around the country you know that's almost like the stock standard residential buyers agent approach buy lots of little deals all the time um, and you need to do that to a degree because the yields get terrible as you go into higher prices for com- uh, residential but yeah. commercial you get more income the more you spend so you can end up only just doing one or two really good deals and um, the safe, there's going to be a lot of safety and security off the quality of that deal as well. Um, so, yeah, it's pretty easy from once they've got the deposit. It's just understand the asset class and that's obviously our job. Explain it to them, show them a few other deals, let the trial and error process play out. And work it out. Well, it sounds like you really enjoy doing what you're doing, Michael. Yeah, I love it. I'm, I'm really passionate about commercial property and, and over time um, it, it just sort of it, it became this obvious next move for me but also I thought about my friends and and people I knew who had struggled with these things and and have it coming up and thought you know this would really be a a terrific solution for those guys and that's really Scott and I had some discussions over a couple of years and and that's what really attracted me to coming on board with Rethink was because you know it just makes you uh, if you can see someone make progress like that and and solve a solution that yeah. that you know is a difficult process for everyone you know i think it's a pretty good feeling so yeah i think there's so much potential in it um well you, you get this you get this right you think about a lot of the friction it removes from mm. from family family dynamics around the big succession thing like you know you can ameliorate a lot of that at the front end if you get this right and, and, I, and I know you fly your own plane so you've flying all over Queensland sort of visiting rural farmers anyone with an airstrip you could land there and have a yarn to him maybe could it's the, uh, the, uh, the the flying the flying property <laughs> strategist you see you got you got the plane ba- branded up yet they know you're in town it's really cool it's it's a really good discussion and and I think for those people who live and habitate the cities, they often they often forget the importance and the the the, the integral role that that farmers play in terms of national resilience and the ongoing economic growth of Australia. And it's been very much the story of Australia, and will be the story of Australia for many years to come. Uh, the great work that our farmers do, and, and our appreciation absolutely to them. But um, uh, you don't need to sit around and wait for the death of the parent or someone getting to old age uh, if you're in a farming family to actually having start having smart conversations around succession planning and, and building out asset classes and asset bases outside of of the actual agricultural uh, activity that you participate in and 
And and my my thoughts would be that the sooner you start at it, the better off the outcome's going to be, and the more choice you're going to have over time. Um, and no doubt you find people get really excited about this once they get going with it, and it probably ends up being their primary investment vehicle and and, and transitions over. But uh, thanks for coming in today. Thanks for coming down from. Gundawindi. Gundawindi, uh, yeah. Go, go and Google that, everyone. You can work out. Just <laughs> remind you just how big Australia is. Uh, 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 what, what's the biggest day on the on the colour out in Gundawindi? Do you have like a, like a race day or something? Yeah, the Gundawindi races are uh, pretty Gundawindi big. races. Yeah, there's a few. Gundawindi races are big. Um, for the younger people, the Gundawindi B&S is one of the last. Oh, you do a B&S. B&S yeah. is I did still a B&S. Going. I did a Gunnedah B&S ball. Yeah. Yeah, I love a B&S. Yeah. But, but Scott, we're going to do that. I reckon we've got to go to the Gundawindi races. Yeah. Let's go. Let's do it. Take his private plane. I'll get yeah, a tent. Yeah, yeah. That, I'll get a tent next year. Yeah. <laughs> um, Can you get a tent for the Gundawini? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a hospitality. Yeah, get a go, tent. All right. I reckon you guys have got to do all your rural clients. You yeah. invite them over to the Gundawini. Like for rural people, oh, it's 500 k away. Oh, it's just down the road. Yeah. yeah no worries. All right. Gundawini <laughs> well, we'll races. It is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Catch up. Let's if, do it. if people want to have a chat with, with Michael, Scott, what's the best way? Just. Yeah, just uh, info at rethinkinvesting.com.au. And yeah, just mention. Uh, yeah, where, you, where you're from as well. Like if you're from the rural side of things, there is a resource here that is a massive advantage, I think. Like there's there's no one in Australia doing what Michael's doing. And um, yeah, I, th- I think it's, it's invaluable for him. And even if it's just for a chat about, you know, the potential and you may not do it for a five-year period. Like yeah. again, farmers are long-term planners, slow movers generally. I've, I've had meetings with clients five years ago that signed up last year, you know, yeah. four-year yeah. wait. So it's all. And, and no, farmers like a good yarn. You're just happy to have a chat with people that yeah. got any problems or concerns. They're happy to confide in you and what's going on and, and how you can find a solution for them. Yeah, everyone's got an interesting story, so it's always good to have a chat. And, um, you know, and it's, uh, the same applies to any generational business, you know, mm. the same the same issues exist and the same solutions. So, so yeah, the team's always there and um, and more than happy to have a discussion. And just a general yarn is is often what people want in the beginning, yeah, just yeah. to just to open the door. Well, it's going to start conversations, right? Mm. When you're sitting around for your Sunday dinner as a family, you can start talking about succession in a positive way. And I imagine that's the best outcome when when succession is is open, planned in an environment which is conducive to outcomes rather than the negatives of succession, which I'm sure happens. But uh, uh, go and uh, get in touch with the team over anything investing. It's, it's a really good story. Um, I'd like to chat with some rural clients if you can find them and yeah. get, get stuck in. That'd be really good. How they've made that that transition and change, uh, rethinkinvesting.com. You can check it out there. That's uh, Scott O'Neill and Michael McIntosh for Rethink Guests. We'll get them back again uh, soon. Hope you enjoyed that, everyone. There's uh, lots of other episodes. Uh, very different, this one, Scott, from what we normally would do. And you see the expansiveness of this discussion, this dialogue that myself and Scott are having around commercial property. We'll see you again next time. Until then, bye-bye. The information featured in this podcast is general in nature and does not take into consideration your financial situation or individual needs and should not be relied upon. Before making any investment, insurance, tax, property or financial planning decision, you should consult a licensed professional who can advise whether your decision is appropriate for you. Guests appearing on this podcast may have a commercial relationship with the companies mentioned.